Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting right across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Now, the highly intelligent machines that are going to be unleashed in the near future, robots, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, they're not coming for our lives. They're coming for our jobs Previously, it was repetitive blue-collar jobs that were at risk, such as those in manufacturing. But in the very near future, AI and machine learning will make it possible for machines to do the majority of jobs, including those requiring thinking skills once believed beyond the reach of machines. Just 20% unemployment can cause political and social upheaval, such as in the Great Depression, and we're looking at possibly 50-plus percent unemployment within the next few years. And in the upcoming decade, one of the crucial questions will be what we humans will do for a living as artificial intelligence speeds towards levels once reserved for science fiction. You know, a study by Oxford economists concluded that 47% of US jobs were at risk from automation. Sorry, at high risk from automation, 47%. With the unanticipated acceleration of AI and machine learning, that percentage is rapidly increasing. Research by McKinsey found that 95% of jobs will be safe for the next two to three years. But after that, technology will change the landscape rapidly with many employees' duties moving to automation. Now, it might be a few years before your company is run by a machine, but that day is getting closer. The estimated one million, I think it's more like three million American long-haul truckers will soon be replaced by self-driving vehicles. Last year, Uber bought a self-driving startup called Otto. Its trucks have already made driverless deliveries. So that's a problem because a couple of million drivers, the people they support, the companies that they um, support, like motels and restaurants, truck stops, etc. There's another couple of million people and all the people that supply them. So just trucks alone could have effect on more than 10 million people. Now, the outlook's equally as bleak for the 8 million Americans working as sales people or cashiers. As you know, last year Amazon opened up an 1,800-square-foot grocery store in Seattle that has no cashiers and no lines. And plans are already well advanced for human soldiers to be replaced by deadly robots and drones. The robotic soldiers will strictly conform to the rules of the battlefield 
They can't be tortured, held hostage or coerced to reveal any of the nation's secrets. Government bureaucracies could also be endangered. A recent report suggested that 90% of British civil ser servants, 90% of British civil servants, and it's probably very similar here in the United States, could be replaced by a machine. Traditioning to robots could save the government in the UK $8 billion a year. So over here, it'd be more like $30 or $40 billion. Now, in case you think it's all the working class people that are going to be affected, even medical doctors are in jeopardy. As recent experiments found that a computer algorithm correctly diagnosed 90% of lung cancer cases presented to it, outperforming a human physician by 40%. So won't be all doctors. If your research cures cancer, you're safe. But if you're a general practitioner, AI will do it much better than most human doctors. It's possible that the GP will become extinct. Algorithms capable of instantaneously sifting millions of legal precedents will replace lawyers. They already are. And a machine could one day scan brains, serving as an infallible lie detector. So criminals will be easily proven guilty, helping to render not only lawyers obsolete, not before time, but also judges and detectives. Many children as we know and we've discussed, already received their lessons from sophisticated AI that's adapted to the strengths and weaknesses of each individual child. Now, that's a far better system than we have now, so schools will disappear. Children will get instruction on everything from a single source. This disruption in the workforce is likely going to come with challenges and dangers, of course. We will see the creation of a massive new strata of society with citizens devoid of any economic, political or even artistic value who contribute nothing to the prosperity, power and glory of society. Hence the rapid rise of the universal basic income system, which many governments are looking at at the moment, including the US government and the British government and many others, which uh, and under the universal basic income, the government would give a certain sum each year to every citizen in order to keep the population afloat. Now, last week I discussed this topic in my um, daily 30-second read newsletter, which of course you all read, and I received an email from Dan Scheide, founder and president of Four Power Leadership, a company that's dedicated to leadership training for corporate and government clients, and the author of Four Power Leadership, Your Pathway to Leadership Success. Now, Dan wrote me an email posing a number of very interesting questions and conclusions, including this one. Dan says, a vast segment of society will be oppressed Global civil war. Let's try that again. Global civil wars will be the outcome. Now, I've organised for Dan to come on the show next week to discuss this topic in detail. So next week we'll have Dan Shady on the show talking about 
robots, AI, and machine learning. Hey, stop what you're doing, everybody. Stop what you're doing. Stop right now and listen up. This is a very important message for every single business. It doesn't matter who you are. If you want to stop leaving money on the table, you've got to set your prices correctly. Now, it is a very scientific program, pro, project. Most people think that you just pick a price and set it or take a percentage over what your costs are. Wrong. And if you get your prices right, you can make a hell of a lot of money. If you get them a little bit wrong, you can lose a hell of a lot of money. So go to, what I want you to do is go to Atenga, A-T-E-N-G-A dot com. I'll do that again. That's A-T-E-N-G-A dot com. And download the free ebook called Seven Easy Steps Successful to Successfully Increase Prices. It's a very quick read. And it may well be the most profitable thing you've done all day. My friend, Per Sofas, can get you your total investment in a Tenga back in as little as four to six weeks. So you get Per in, he looks at your pricing, adjusts what needs to be adjusted, and you get your investment back in full in as little as four to six weeks. So go to atenga.com right now. I also want to talk to you about 13 ways that um, artificial intelligence can change your life. So from helping you take care of email to creating personalized online shopping experiences, AI will transform the way we live and work. But with all the hype out there, how do we know which benefits we'll actually see? So let's talk about some of these and I'll give you some answers. Firstly, AI will eliminate repetitive tasks. From chatbots that can free up human staffers' times to work more on you know, more complex issues to scheduling AIs that eliminate the need to schedule meetings, for example. AI will initially help humans spend more time focusing on creative and high mental effort activities. So all that drudgery, dreary stuff gone. Number two, deeper personalization. The benefits of deeper personalization means the ability to understand what each customer really wants. And this can be achieved very easily through AI. It's already being used to illustrate how AI personalization saves considerable time in getting to a deeper, deeper level of understanding of each and every customer. Number three, AI time savings. AI will save companies considerable time by doing tasks, collecting and analyzing data, and providing decisions much, much, much faster than people can. AI has the capability of doing so much more than we can on many, many levels. Number four, we'll have far fewer screens. We can simply converse with AI. For example, Siri's a reliable personal assistant when it comes to setting reminders, alarm clocks, sending texts, finding information, etc. AI will make it possible for us to do virtually anything just using a voice command. Number five, software and human teams working together. 
Now, the biggest change is the move from using software as a tool to people working with software as fellow team members. Software will monitor things, alert people, and execute basic tasks without intervention. Now, this is going to free staff time for really creative or interesting stuff and will greatly improve business. AI is going to have a much larger, larger impact than the hype. Number six, AI will automate more tasks. And this is the greatest advantage of, um, of AI. It's the automation of tasks that will free up employees to focus on strategic initiatives until machine learning, of course, replaces those individuals. I believe there will be very little robots, AI and machine learning can't do. Number seven, AI will lead to personalized medicine. A major benefit will be personalized medicine where rather than a one-size-fits-all approach, doctors will be able to tailor treatment on an individual basis and prescribe the right treatments and procedures based on your medical history. Number eight, dramatic increases in productivity. Tomorrow's AI with, will free people from repetitive tasks and machine learning will enable more complex tasks. The resulting productivity gains will make the digital industrial revolution child's play. 60% unemployment is likely to cause all manner of social issues. Number nine, AI will lead to improved quality of life. With each wave of technological advancement, the quality of life for the world overall has increased. With AI, we'll have better personalised healthcare, more efficient energy use, enhanced food production capabilities, improved but far less jobs with less mundane work and a whole bunch more. Number 10, a day when most people will no longer be able to work. We'll attain a 60% unemployment rate with a universal basic income structure. And with AI, robots and machine learning, replacing so many jobs in the next few years, we'll have to change social systems in order to adapt. Number 11, AI will help struggling communities and nations. So while AI is critical for self-driving cars, the military, commerce, um, AI-driven SEO and gaming and a whole bunch of other things, it's poised to make the most human impact in medicine and human behavior. The UN can then leverage neural networks and deep learning to discover why some communities thrive and others fall behind. These lessons can then be leveraged into less fortunate communities. Number 12, home automation energy savings. Artificial intelligence-based home automation can save hundreds of millions of dollars annually in wasted energy. It can learn when people are in or when they're not at home and automatically adjust the temperature saving on energy costs and use. And finally... AI will lead to time and resources allocation. Artificial intelligence will automatically process, automate processes allowing additional time and resources to be dedicated to what companies need to focus their energy on. And that is, of course, the customer experience. So there are 13 things that AI is good for. 
And don't forget to listen next week when we have a in-depth conversation about what this all means. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about 1.7 million daily subscribers. And I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for my daily newsletter. Now, theoretically, it takes just 30 seconds to read, but I must admit it does take a little bit longer. It probably takes you a couple of minutes. But it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. So you'll be able to sit down at a table with your in-laws and absolutely astound them with how much stuff you know that's right up to date. At your office, your boss will say, wow, what a fantastic knowledge of current events and what's happening in the world and technology and you'll get a promotion and very shortly you'll take the CEO's job and he'll be out in the street because he didn't read the Bob Pritchard 30-second business newsletter every day. That's how important it is. So go to bobpritchard.com and roll the newsletter today. Again, today is James Ossick and he's the president of Sayara. And he's responsible for all customer-facing operational aspects of the company on a global basis. This guy has got a fantastic track record. Company after company he's been involved with has had sales go through the roof and they've sold out for a heap of money and he's had one success after another. He's a very, very interesting guy. Good bloke. Good guy. And I'll be back with James immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the past six years now, we've given you insights into the lives of over 320 of the world's most interesting people. We, uh, we've spoken about what they do, what challenges they've faced, and we try to work out what it is that makes them tick. You know, it's, it's really hard to be successful today and make your mark in the world. The failure rate of um, new companies is around about between 95 and 97%, which isn't good. So what is it that makes those 3% of people successful? So the aim of this segment is to 
introduce you to people that are involved in interesting and different roles and learn what their keys to success are. You know, there's no point in us going out as a new business and repeating the mistakes that other people have already overcome. I mean, that'd just be plain bloody stupid, wouldn't it? So um, we can learn from these segments. And the other aim of this segment is to assist you to overcome challenges to seize initiatives and become highly successful. As I say over and over and over again, one of the most important things you need to do is listen to segments like this, but also to um, get books of uh, on business people and how they've managed to succeed. And more importantly, surround yourself with mentors. Get people that have been there, done that, that represent various aspects of business and people who are not going to be yes men, people who, you know, if you've got an idea and it really sucks, they're going to tell you. So, you know, a lot of people make the mistake of getting mentors that uh, are their best friends who don't want to upset them and everything's great until they go broke. So my guest today, this guy's had a phenomenal career when you listen in a second to what he's what he's achieved but he's the president of Sayara which we'll find out all about in a minute and he's responsible for all customer facing operational aspects of the company globally including you know marketing business development sales and pre-sales professional services all the stuff that goes with um, with being a great marketing guy and uh He's also responsible for customer satisfaction. And as we know, one of the most important things in business today is great, not great, awesome customer service and being a great community citizen. And he's based in the heart of Silicon Valley. Now, James started his career at Apple. He probably had millions of shares, which he sold for huge amounts of money and lives in this massive mansion. But he, he later moved on to concentric Network, a company helped grow from two million to three hundred million a year revenue. Now that's pretty good, huh? And then, following a successful IPO and a successful public company merger for two point nine billion—that's two thousand nine hundred thousand million dollars—James moved to Danger Inc. An SAS-based mobile platform for mobile operators, where he led the sales efforts, which grew revenue from zero to a hundred million, before being acquired by Microsoft in a five hundred million dollar acquisition. He's got a history, hasn't he? He takes a company, builds it up in these huge sales, then flogs it off to somebody for an enormous amount of money. That's a pretty good deal. He's obviously got knows knows his way around the block. Uh, James then joined 41st Parameter as the EVP of Sales, Business Development and Customer Operations, growing revenue at 40% a year before a successful sale. Here we go again to Experian for $325 million. Now, that is a bloody impressive record. I didn't add up all those numbers. I meant to add them up, but it, it turns out to be a shitload of money, right? <laughs> James, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. So, before we start, well, first of all, tell us what um, what Sayara is, your, your new business that you're about to build into some astronomical sales and flog off to somebody. Bob, thanks uh, for the introduction. I, I have to say, I think I want a tape of that playing every morning when I, <laughs> I wake up brushing my teeth and just listen to 
you know, I, I, I sound Nick, you I, <laughs> I just have to play that again and again. Um, then, no, thanks for the introduction. And uh, so Ciara, the company I joined, which um, recently is a company which validates designs, tests, and gives you uh, basically assurance that your customer support and customer experience infrastructure is operating. So this means all the ways that you would interact with the company through a telephone call to your to whoever you want to get support from, a web chat, an email, an SMS. We test every single corner and crevice of it and make sure it works well. And so our customers um, tend to be larger companies who want to be excellent at basically customer experience. It's really, it's really interesting because when you when you initially, I, I do consulting for corporations and when you go in and you speak to them about touch points, you know, you need to make every touch point a wow, no matter what it is. And most people seem to think that, you know, straight off the bat, they think of three or four. In actual fact, most companies, when you take into account delivery, when you take into account repairs or whatever it is, many companies can have a dozen touch points, can't they? And they forget about most of them. But all you need is some guy to walk in to fix your computer with his bum crack showing and it destroys the whole um, image of the company, doesn't it? No, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot that you have to get right if you want to be great at customer experience. You have to have superbly trained CSRs, customer support reps. Yep. You have to have good policies. So, so, so for example, let's say a customer's irate and you need to expedite a return. You have to have a good policy in place. So there's just many, many things you have to do. The, the place where we really help companies is making basically sure that the plumbing, the underlying plumbing of the infrastructure, your IVR, your phone system, your web chat, particularly the digital um, attributes of all that, are functioning and are rock solid. And so, we'll, you know, we have some customers that have, you know, 60,000 people answering the phone worldwide. And so you want to make sure. They're all in India, right? (laughs) No, actually, uh, you'd be surprised. They're actually quite distributed now. In fact, you'll find people um, in just different parts of the states basically using an iPhone in their home office as part of a contracted customer support um, element. But, But just to close on the point. There's a, as you just said, there's there are uh, you know dozens of touch points. The place where we help them most is we make sure the underlying customer support and CX infrastructure is functioning, working, tested, and will be rock solid in the event of you know let's say you had a surge of phone calls or that kind of thing. How much of how much of great customer service is having that infrastructure right to be able to address it, and how much of that is having great people you know it's it's it seems to me that people need to be involved in customer service using the term very broadly um, need to have a good personality need to have, be empathetic and when you go out of the community there's damn few people that are empathetic and there's even fewer that have a good personality so how do you you know if you've got 60,000 people how do you find the right people so yeah, it's a really good question. So the 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 again the place we focus most is the the kind of the sine qua non without which there is nothing. If if the phone system is not working, if web chat is not working, yep. Yep. even if you have the most dedicated uh, you know CSR there, 
But you know, the, the, it's, a re- it's an excellent question. I, I, I think behavioral interviewing is a lot, is helpful um, in this where you're, you basically go eye to eye with the people. Sure. And see, are they engaged? Do they make eye contact with you? Are they responsive, et cetera? And you know, there are companies that are excellent at this. Apple Computer, go to a Genius Bar at your local Apple Computer store. It's, they are fantastic. It's, it's a stunning experience. Yeah, people they are. They can. Well-trained, they know the product. And they have, you know, they, they adjust or modulate their level of speech depending on, you know, is it a sophisticated customer or is it somebody who perhaps knows, you know, is less technical? You know, they, yeah. But they interview for that and they look for that kind of, uh, I would just say, you know, super, uh, you know, interactive skills. Yeah, they're really good at it. Everybody, as long as I can ever remember, going back to the old days pre-digital Everybody was talking about you've got to have awesome customer service. And we've been talking about that now for 40 years at least. And yet in the main, customer service sucks. Um, Retail's a great example. Um, It's dreadful. And some of the phone companies (laughs) – are not good at this. So why is it that we've been talking about it for 40 years and yet it's still lousy? You know, it's it really interesting. I'll share some statistics with you. So um, when you poll like major Fortune 500 companies, 80% of them will respond as the executive teams will respond and say, we deliver great customer service, 80%. Yep. It's a self-evaluation but when you ask their customers, only 8% will respond and say, yes, I'm getting great you know, customer service. Yeah, I was going to bring so, that up with you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but this is, so this is data that's available in the industry right now. That's a, that's a wide divergence. So increasingly, you know, over the last you know, decade, 15 years, you see different measurements coming out. One is net promoter score, NPS. It just takes like, uh, uh, think of it as like a, a stack bar graph. Do 70% of your people, of your customers, Rep, uh, recommend your product in your company, or is it only thirty percent? And how many people are net negative and will actively yeah. say negative things about your company? So now, you know, we see you didn't see this twenty years ago, but now there's popular ways of measuring this. You'll see this even put into the bonus structure of senior executives. And I think there's a new consciousness now uh, that basically your customers and your allegiance and loyalty to that customer is one click away from being lost. Yep. If you have a bad order experience, bad customer interaction, they can drop your site or your service and go somewhere else. I think it's the sheer, like, you know, frictionless nature of, like, doing business now that's gotten people uh, more and more conscious of it. And also, if that person leaves you and they're really pissed off, they take they can take 10,000 people with them if they want to be vehement enough, can't they? Yeah. Again, I'll I'll share some uh, statistic with you. Yep. 86% of people leave you will never tell you they were upset with you. 86%. So most of the time, again, threading it back to the other question you asked, I think there's first like uh, just pure information that one needs about, you know, what is the actual state of what your customers think about you? And then there's just, I think, you know, some recognition on part of the executive's you know, realizing it. But I think it's a changed world. It's really the last 10 years or so with just the, the fluidity with which a customer can leave you and go someplace else has gotten so, uh, you know, extraordinary that our, our customers are paying more attention now. Yeah, there, there was some 
figures put out by the Rockefeller Institute that said that 64% of customers leave um, doing business with somebody because they felt that the that the company didn't give us stuff about them. You know, so 64% out of 100, only 9% of people leave a company or stop doing business with a company because they go to a competitor voluntarily. 9%. And yet right. 64% leave because they don't believe the company gives us stuff about them. And yet most companies focus on that 9%. You know, how do we stop our, our customers from going to the competition? And that's not their problem. That's right. Their, their problem's a lousy service. So, you know, it's interesting. So, the, the, again, the place where Ciara focuses is I'll call it just, you know, I'm using this term, the infrastructure, CX infrastructure. You, you have to make sure your phone answering works. You have to make sure if you're trying to contain the customers uh, and satisfy and delight them with just a phone call, you have to make sure it's all working correctly. And you'd, you'd actually be stunned at how often we find errors and mistakes in like what's called the IVR or the voice response. You know, just there's just flat out mistakes, meaning you'll have four choices. Please press one, two, three, or four. You press one of them and it goes into a black hole. So what CR does is we constantly test, validate, and monitor this. And so for a lot of our customers, um, you know, they, they want to be great at like making a car or they want to be great at banking, or they want to be great at, you know, fill in the blank. And the cus- the development that goes into the customer experience and customer support infrastructure may be a little less priority than building a great car, than, you know, doing the following. So it's kind of been this afterthought. And yeah. one of the things, what we find is we can, we can help basically validate and make sure it's functional and operational every day. And then that allowed to some extent, you know, frankly, it allows the vice president of customer experience or the CMO to go work on other things that they have to, like finding those great CSRs, interviewing people to, and having the right policies on whether it's return or, or customer delight. That's the place where CR helps the most. It's that confirmation of the infrastructure's operational. You've got a fantastic record in um, sales growth and then acquisition. Um, what do you attribute? Are you just lucky or is there something <laughs> genius about you that that has these successes one after another after another? So what have you got that all these other people out there don't have? Well, it's, about, it's very flattering, Bob, to say that. But, you know, it, it's not me or just me. It, every single one of these cases, it's been a team. Right. And yeah. I, I played one position, um, you know, to – you know, of course, use the baseball analogy. Somebody's got to be shortstop. Somebody's playing second base. You, know, you, you need to situate yourself with great people. There's no, there's nothing more important than be. And then, you know, building that super tight circle of trust where, you know, you are brothers and sisters in arms. So I, so I, I appreciate the compliment. But I, if I walk through every one of the companies that you just described, I could talk about all the fantastic team members that were part of it. So that's really number one. I think perseverance you know, when you were saying in your opening um, comments about, you know, you like to help your audience understand, I think perseverance, I, and again, if I were to describe some of the details of the companies that we just talked about, each one of them had, you know, their stare into the abyss moments where it was unclear, you know, if, if we were going to make it through kind of an existential survival moment, either, you know, we got some decision wrong or we're yeah. short on cash or whatever. So it's perseverance through that. I think um, 
domain knowledge and getting to be an expert in your arena. So again, if I were to walk through all those companies, including Ciara, at Ciara, we have people, particularly in the engineering team, who are the best in the world at this this chosen activity. So right. improving your own knowledge. Um, um, and you know, I, I think of myself as a lifelong learner. And I think if you if you want to be sequentially successful, and I, I just don't mean topically, but but learning more things about the sales craft. I, I look yeah. at it. So I'm like, what else can I learn on this? And you know, et cetera. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to the team comment. I had I had a mentor who said something to me I've never forgotten. He's a CEO, successful CEO. And and uh, I was talking about different members of my team, and. Uh, very interesting fellow um, who's an immigrant uh, to this country. is very successful. And he, he looked at me and he, having breakfast with him one day. He said, James, you're talking to me about your various team members. Would you go tiger hunting with these guys? I said, what did you mean? And he said, you know, tiger hunting in the jungle. It's like the tiger could jump out at any second and kill you. Like, who do you want at your back? Are these the guys? And I've never forgotten the expression. It's like when you go build a business like this, it's all consuming. It's 24-7. Um, you want to be with people that you want at your back that you'd go tiger hunting with and yeah. going to protect you. So those are the things that I think about. And, and, and yes, I've been very blessed and lucky um, uh, on the teams I've gotten to work with. Um, but it's all the things I talked about and, and the perseverance and team and improving your topical knowledge. One of the, I think that's one of the very important things. I was reading some figures the other day that said that 90% of business executives in the United States, um, and this is not comparing the United States with anyone, just talking about the United States, 90% do not have any additional learning experience after they finish college. They finish college and that's wow. where it stops. Wow. Um, you know, they may go to the odd... Um, convention but um, as a person who speaks at a lot of conventions um, particularly say in Vegas um, if you've got the first um, presentation up in the morning there isn't anybody there <laughs> so they're not that eager to learn um, but so when you talk about continuing your education um, it doesn't have to be formal is that um, is that a mixture of sort of conventions and reading the trades and making sure that you stay abreast of um, everything that's going on in your business or across the board? So, yeah, I think it's um, the formalized things for sure. But I'll, I'll give you an example of what I'm doing right now. I, I have a, an executive peer group. It's a structured group of um, other you know, chief operating officers, CEOs. Um, it's a small group. It's moderated. There's a rigorous process. Um, we get together once a month and work through, each person works through uh, a particular um, structured process to solve a business problem. Right. And right. it's a place where, as they say, it's lonely at the top, quote unquote. You know, this is a place where you can go and be very open and work through things. I've yep. gotten yep. a ton out of that. I'm, I'm with a peer group that's teaching me. And so I think, you know, there's structured things like that you can do. And then definitely, um, and so at Ciara, we have something called Ciara Academy. We, we have a whole bunch of courses to train our sales engineers, actually to train our partners. You know, right. I'm marching myself through every single one of those courses. So I think you, you have to do, you know, the, the structured kind of things because it's too easy to get lazy. And it's a stunning statistic you shared with us. It's too easy to just 
you know, give up on that. I, I think you have to put the extra effort to put some structure around it and, and force yourself into it. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of executives um, are around my age, being a lot older than you, I think. But, um, you know, they did their degrees in the 50s or the 60s. And <laughs> I hate to tell you, but the world's changed since then. So whatever you learned in the 50s and the 60s is not going to do you any good now at all. I mean, you'd be lucky no. if you can talk to your kids. <laughs> no, it's so true. You know, the statistics you hear that like half of the jobs that they're going to exist in 2035 are in industries that have not yet been invented. You hear yep. statistics, you know, like that. So when you think about um, when I got out of college, you know, the Internet did exist, but it was like, you know, government and university, you know, or with whatever, you know, 20,000 people on a radio. Sure. Carbon dating myself um, right there <laughs> on, on age. But so... You know, whole industries that I've operated in did not exist when I graduated from college. Sure. So if you don't have an act, an, uh, an attitude of, I'm going to be a lifelong learner, I'm going to learn, you know, there's something you can learn from every single person you interact with, but that also I'm going to put some structure around it. We, we, um, we have a gentleman in our office, who's our product management leader, MIT grad, you know, he's probably 20 years out of college. He's taking a machine learning class on the side. Again, just to like very this, smart. Yeah, it's just terrific, and it actually very smart. CR, it's highly relevant as we get into data analytics, as we get into you know um, customer support delivered through AI and bots. He's going to know it. Yeah. So he have, you know, he went to again a highly prestigious university, MIT, right? But he's not yeah. idle. He's continuing to learn. So I, I think um, it's easy to get comfortable, and I think if. Um, I've sort of, I would say, you know, put myself in places where um, I'm almost forced to learn and then you can do the structured things and, and, you know, you continue to grow. It's just, it's uh, it's a terrific thing. Okay. You're a company out there and you're, you know, you produce a great product, but you haven't been paying very much attention to customer experience. If you're providing customers with a bad experience, how can that hurt your business? In what ways can it hurt your business? So, you know, did, you know, perhaps returning to some of the statistics we were saying before, we got yeah. a bad customer experience. Customers will leave with, with never telling you, um, which is, is about the worst gift that they, can, that they can give you. And, you know, it's funny. I, so I've been at, with the company about five months. And, and, you know, at first, you know, I thought of this as mostly it's a, a technical software platform sale. We're going to help your CX infrastructure work. Well, what I've discovered at the end of you know, five months of being here, what we actually sell is brand assurance, meaning, right. you know, Mr. or Ms. CMO, guess what? We're going to make sure all the infrastructure and plumbing is working well. You can go work on the higher order things and you can have assurance that you're not going to have a collapse situation, you know, um, because of that. And so that's that's kind of how we see ourselves help at a higher level. You're not going to have to worry about, you know, I'll call it the lowest level of Maslow's hierarchy and those higher order problems. How do you get great CSRs? What's the right script? What's the right policy on on returns and add-on sales and, you know, all that stuff, which is um, both fun to work on and is also highly significant. So I'm out there. I'm a CEO. I've got a company and I don't think we're doing um, customer service and our backup. We don't think I don't think we've got all that in place. So I call Ciara. Um, how do you start? What's the process to um, 
get into a company? So, no, it's a really good question. So, we, we have um, what we call the customer experience maturity profile. It's like a left to right, starting at, you know, the company may be, um, let's just say, immature or have weak muscle fiber around delivering a good customer experience. And we can tell pretty quickly. We have some diagnostic tools that we can exercise at very quickly and tell you, like, okay, here's a number of things we found, even before we've installed any software or done anything else. So we start with kind of a, a diagnostic, if you will, which is here's where you are. And some people may start their um, – the customer experience is actually a differentiating attribute and they're just killer, you know, good at it. When they may be at the, we'll call it the lower left end of the spectrum where they haven't developed the muscle fiber. So step one, the diagnostics, we figure out where they are. And then the second part is really, you know, kind of a, it's a series of conversations. We're like, how much willingness do you guys have? And are you ready, you know, to be great? And, we sort of gear the level of engagement. We have something we call our domain consulting group. Right. By that we mean we have um, some people who are now, we've been doing this for 10 years, who are experts at the domain of customer experience. And we ask a series of really pretty uh, both granular tactical kinds of things and then strategic things. How important is customer experience to you? And then we also deduce not just the platitudes, but like, what are you willing to do? So after we've done that diagnostic, where you are, then where do you intend to be? With that point, we design basically the program, and and we can we can get going in thirty days, sixty days with a you know committed um, company, and then over the course of so ninety to one hundred twenty days, we can have a lot of things improve, you know, et cetera. But those are the basic steps that we go through. So I'm a I'm a company that's got fifty employees. Well. 100 employees what the, what what are the parameters of what's this going to cost me i uh, know that's, that's how long a piece of string but yeah yeah that's it's a, a really good question so <clears throat> we um typically most of our customers are fortune 500 FTSE 100 they're large customers which you'll see us um supporting um i'll call it the middle part of the market right. um in the future through partners by because of the nature of what we do, it tends to be a bigger ticket okay, item. Okay. And um, usually um, the engagement on an annual basis is a six-figure. Sometimes for large customers, it's a seven-figure kind of. Um, now, for the market you just described, which I would call mid to, to smaller end, sure. we're going to be addressing that in the future through some partners who more logically sell to it. And at that point, the, the price point for it has to be uh, in consonance or, or it has to make sense for somebody who's spending, you know, 50 employees, think about what they spend on customer support. Think about what they spend on their phone system. And it has to be a product that's oriented towards that. Most of who we currently serve now is in the larger end of the market. And it's a, again, a, a six to seven figure kind of engagement. Okay. Is it all automated? Is everything, all your, um, testing and implementation is it all automated or some of it yes, manual that's the whole reason detra of the company was really to automate testing and take the human drudgery out of it and you know frankly get people great at customer experience so and then deliver that to customers and then the rest of the planet can go off and do something whatever else they want to do we sure. save them time but the whole reason detra of the company is is uh, is automation so we have um, a user interface where you can easily design a set of test scripts and in, in a matter of a couple days, 
design a couple hundred to a couple thousand test scripts and then start running it on a completely automated fashion. Right. So that, that is our, our claim to fame. That's what we're really, really good at. And the, the, the savings for the customer comes in a couple places. Usually, when you see, we run into a shop that's all manual, that is, they only do manual testing. What I mean by that is there's a human being hitting the keyboard with their fingers and saying, let me type this in. Now, let me try this one. Let me try this one. So typically, at best, they will test about 10% of the code at, that is, that's in your voice response system, et cetera. So what we can do with automation is take this up to 80, 90 and 100%. So now you're testing all of it, usually with the exact same number of people. So your same number of people are doing a lot more. You're finding all these problems in development instead of in once you've shifted into production. So automation is what we're about. Take the human drudgery out of it. And humans make mistakes. Um, James, what's next on the horizon for you? You're just hanging around until they sell out for some astronomical amount of money, then you've got to go on to the next one. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, this is a great job. This has been a total gas. Um, the the uh, this company has got great product, great product to market fit, great people. I think the next stage of the company, there's almost like a an industry changing data analytics product. And what I mean by that is we have all these customers in utilities and banking and insurance um, <clears throat> and and different kind of consumer electronics. So we have all this information about how good or not is the customer experience across right. the entire planet, frankly. And so I see a future on this around data analytics where we can give, we can basically get to a point where we can tell a customer, hey, you, you're not as good as your five competitors. Of course, you have to respect the proprietary nation of sure. everybody's information. But you'd be able to say like, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you're a 5.5 and your, your industry segment's at an 8.5 and start really helping people benchmark where they are. And so I see a, a, a lot of distance with this particular company and, and I'm having an absolute gas. This is total well, that's great. James, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now you can find out more about Syara, which is C-Y-A-R-A at Syara.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show. We're on Voice America Business Channel, and we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week, we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. This is where it all happens and where technology meets entertainment. We're in the center of the third most active um, entrepreneurial area in the world after Silicon Valley and Tel Aviv. So it really does all happen here. Um, 
Did you hear that General Motors announced it's going to sell Opel and Vauxhall, two European brands it has owned since the 1920s, so nearly 100 years, to French automaker PSA Group? Now, you've got to say that Opel and Vauxhall are hardly household names, are they? 100 years, and uh, you drive a what? A Vauxhall? A what? An Opel? Hmm. Now, GM pointed to Brexit and the changing geopolitical landscape as a major part of the reason for the sale. Of course, in addition to Brexit, which is, you know, not a bad excuse or somebody to blame, um, GM has lost $22.4 billion in Europe since 2000. $22.4 billion down the hole. So you can blame Brexit if you like, but mm, I think there's other stuff to blame. But the risks posed by political uncertainty in Europe outweighed the potential return to a steady profit. $22.4 billion down the hole in just 15 years. Steady profit. Mm, Seems unlikely. Now, GM had already pulled a Chevrolet brand from Europe three years ago in an effort to stem losses. And it actually had reached a deal once before to sell Opel in 2009 as it prepared to file for bankruptcy. <laughs> now, let's blame Brexit. Um, let's not tell anybody that we can't sell fucking motor cars. But it eventually pulled out of that deal in the hope that it could turn around its prospects in Europe. Mm. GM's relatively weak position in Europe shows no time, no sign of turning around. Opel and Vauxhall, after a hundred and something years, have only 6% of the market, and that's down from 9% in 2000. So Brexit didn't help the situation, probably, but GM was pretty well screwed well before then. Hey, stop what you're doing. Come on, listen up. It's a very important message. If you want to stop leaving money on the table, you want to maximise your profits, then you need to get your prices right. So go to atenga.com, that's A-T-E-N-G-A.com, and download the free ebook called Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increase Prices. It's a quick read and uh, may well be the most profitable thing that you've done all day, apart from listening to this radio show. And my friend Per Sofas can get you and your total invention get you your total investment in a Tenga back in as little as four to six weeks. So go to attenga.com now. We've been considering the potential for employment loss of up to 60% in then just the next few years through a combination of robots, AI and machine learning. We've discussed how robots are replacing up to 90% of staff at insurance companies, manufacturing plants and even creating news stories in the media. Well, Coca-Cola spends about $5 billion a year on advertising, $5,000 million on advertising. And a lot of advertising agencies and creative directors have created extraordinary campaigns and made countless millions of dollars creating messages that have fueled humongous sales generation after generation, despite rather pathetic attempts of legislators and nutritionists to show, slow down Coca-Cola's growth. But Coca-Cola is now evaluating whether an AI bot can replace these flesh and blood creative teams. 
Mariano Bozes, the Globe's brand global senior digital director, said that he's evaluating how brands can use artificial intelligence because he's interested in replacing these creative people with robots. Part of a recent restructuring to make Coca Digital Business includes four focus areas, customer and customer experience, operations, new business, and culture. Within the customer and consumer segment, Coke is interested in using artificial intelligence to improve content, media, and commerce, particularly when it makes the creative process more effective. In theory, Coke believes that AI can be used for everything, from creating music for ads, writing scripts, posting a spot on social media, and buying media. It doesn't need anyone else to do that but a robot, coupled with AI and machine learning. Wow. Coke already buys ads programmatically, but it's currently less than half of its media budget. But still, with four, five billion in advertising, that's still a huge chunk of change that advertising agencies are not getting. So, if it can happen to on the workers' process line, and it can happen in advertising, how long? before robots, AI, and machine learning affect your industry. No matter what industry you're in, it will, and dramatically, and soon. I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, Pritchard with a T, B-O-B-P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D.com, and enroll for my daily newsletter. It goes out to 1.73 million business executives every day, and you should not be the one that misses out. It takes just 30 seconds to read. That's a bit of a fudge. I've got to say that most days it takes a minute to read, and we'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're just taking up too much space. Get out of the road. Let somebody who wants to succeed get past. Stop clogging the system. You know, it's easier and more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. You don't want to be ordinary. Trust me. Next week, we'll be back broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard, where technology meets entertainment, and I hope you can join me again. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful, because you know what? The alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.